0: The last little while I've been speaking to you, before I left and after I came back, I've been speaking to you about the idea of the space that God creates with the intent to fill it with his glory. What I shared last week about the trip that I was on was, even with, when I was speaking about Lebanon, was about how God wants to fill the land of Lebanon the land of Jordan, the land of Egypt, the land of Israel, Canada, here, our homes, with his glory. His glory is a concept that we have trouble understanding. What is the glory of God? Well, we visualize it in our minds as the brightness, the full glory. You know, when somebody comes in and they're sort of loud, and very present, we say, oh, he came into the room with his full, full of his glory. You know what I'm talking about? They come in and they are very expressed. They're very manifest. It's the same with the glory of God. So that means it isn't just a physical expression or attribute, but it is an attribute of his very being, his very presence. So when we say the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth, we mean that His presence and the knowledge of His presence will fill the earth. When we say that the glory of God was in this meeting, you can sense the glory of God. The glory of God was all around us. The glory of God entered the room. We're talking about His very presence. And his very presence, literally, literally, means himself. He comes into the room. He comes into the space. He created this physical space in the heavens and the earth with the express intent of being in it. By his very nature, one of the attributes that we know about God is that he is omni? Say it, omnipresent, which means what? He is everywhere. right? However, his omnipresence doesn't mean that we know he's there. Do you realize that he's there in the shower with you and he's there in the bed with you? He's there at the dining room table with you. He's there at school with you. He is everywhere. He is present on the moon, in the water, in the ocean. He's present here. And that doesn't mean that his glory is expressed. But you said that glory is his presence, yes. But there is something that needs to switch. you see this thing? It's the remote control for the projector that's above me. I can press a little button so- on here and something happens. You don't see it, but if I press this button, something appears at the top corner there. If I press it again, it disappears. If I, if I press it, it does something. Can you see it? If you have the correct lenses on, it's an infrared light. Which means it is a light at a frequency that our eyes cannot see. Okay? If you have the correct glasses on, you could see it. Now, if I press this button here, if I press this little green button, something else happens. You can't see that either. Can you see it? Look up high. Oops, pressing the wrong button. Can you see it? You can only see it on the ceiling. You can only see it on the screen. But can you see anything in between? Like if I block it, you will see it on my hand. But you can't see anything in between. Why? It is a different frequency. And it only manifests if there's enough substance, because it's so thin, if there's enough substance between it and its target. In other words, if I have a smoke machine here and I blow smoke in front of it, you will actually see the beam through the smoke. It is the same with the glory of God. He's ever-present, all the time, but it is our frequency sensors that cannot see him or pick him up. The other day I was sharing with you an experience I had with Dad. As I was driving him, he was asking me which route I'm going to take. Do you remember that? And uh, he was a bus driver for many years. He knows the city quite well. He has experience. He has what we call wisdom when when it comes to this area. He has wisdom in many areas, but in this specific area of navigation, he has wisdom. I, on the other hand, don't know the parts of the city that we're going to drive so I depend on my trusty GPS that's on my phone and as I'm driving he asks me, I I told you all this, he asked me, aren't you going to take the Allen? And I said no, I'm just going to follow the GPS and uh, he just kept quiet and uh, I followed GPS, it got us there when it said and uh, I wanted to find out If I take the Allen, would it be quicker? But I don't know my way around. So I put it off. But one day I had the opportunity, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving, or about eight days ago, I was driving. And where I was driving, the GPS was all confused. It didn't know north from south, it didn't know left from right, it was pointing me in the wrong direction. Like it was actually seeing me drive in the wrong direction. I know I was driving west on this street, but it was showing me going east. And it was all mixed up. And that got me talking to the Lord about what I shared with you earlier about trust and me trusting the GPS. Whereas he was leaning on his own wisdom and understanding. And the Lord says, well, not so fast. His wisdom and his understanding is based on experience. Your wisdom and understanding is based on trusting and obeying this device. That's good. And it's like that with the Lord. And he did that with the people of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, he instructed them day by day what steps to take. Now walk this way. The food is going to, you're going to find the manna in the morning. Walk this way. And that went on for 40 years. But at the end of the 40 years, he cut off the GPS signal. And now they had to enter into the new land without guidance and on their own with the guidance of the Lord but they had to use a different system altogether. They had to depend now on the experience of what they had learned and make new experiences. So they had to develop a new system to be able to receive wisdom, instruction and obedience into this new world. So why, why am I sharing all this? The invisible glory of God that is all around us, the ability to pick up that frequency, and the trusting of the GPS and the developing of wisdom. Those are not unrelated thoughts. They're all part of the same journey and the same inward working that the Lord is trying to do with us. He is developing us from childhood to maturity. He's developing us. just like a mother develops her baby in the womb and then after the baby is born, she develops him in all kinds of skills. But there comes a point where she is no longer changing the baby's diapers the baby is supposed to learn how to go to the bathroom on their own. There comes a time when she's no longer giving the baby a bottle because the baby has to learn to eat and drink on their own. There comes a time when she is no longer cooking for the baby because now the baby has grown and lives on his own or on her own. There comes a time when she is no longer making the baby's bed. And exactly the same way the Lord works with us to train us Initially, he shows us the how. Initially, he does all those things for us. He does all the details. He develops us. He does all the nurturing. But he comes to the place where if he does that ongoingly, there's a problem. I heard a beautiful illustration of that. You know the story of the bear and the friend that were walking in the woods? I may have shared this with you. My dad used to always tell this to my mom. Uh, he would say, you know, you love your kids so much. Uh, you're like this mama bear that had gone walking with her friend, the man, in the woods. And the man got tired one day, and he decided to take a nap at th- the base of the tree, And he says to the mama bear, mama bear, I'm going to just sit here for a little bit, take a nap. Please watch over me. Don't let any harm come to my, uh, t- my way. So Bear says, oh, gladly. So the man sleeps. And Bear is happy watching the man sleep. They're friends. And all of a sudden she notices that this bee comes along. Bzzz, and lands on the man's head. So she tries to shoo the bee away. The bee's not going anywhere. She blows at the bee, but the bee is stuck to the man's head and it's about to drill into his head. So she decides, you know, I'm going to have to save this man's life. What am I going to do? She finds the biggest rock that she can find. She loves the man. She wants no harm to come to him from the bee. So she picks up the rock and kills the bee by smashing the bee on top of the man's head. And you know what happened? The man died. So my dad would tell my mom, don't love them so much that you could kill them. Interesting. Interesting. There's a limit to how much we express that love and show that love. That's a harsh story. So the other day I was on another conference call with some other leaders and this lady was asking for prayer for her family. And one of the other pastors shared this story and uh, it sort of reminded me of the bear. He says, you know, as a mother, you are such an amazing cook. You cook for your family not just the food, but the life. You prepare these wonderful meals for them. And you have to put the right amount of salt in the recipe. And love is that salt. So if you don't put salt, it's like you're not providing love in your home. So you have to put the salt. And you've learned to put good salt. And you've learned the taste that your family likes, so you know how much salt. But if you put too much salt, it's unedible. Maybe that's a little bit easier to understand than the bear and the rock. But the nurturing that God does with us is exactly that. The first one may be kind of harsh because it kills the man. This one doesn't kill the man, but it doesn't benefit him. So the mother that puts too much salt is exactly like God. He doesn't ever put too much salt in his expression of love. He knows when to limit his love, where the boundary of his love is, Because at a certain age, at a certain point in our journey, in our maturity, we have to understand that the perfect mix of the salt of God means he's not going to carry us on the next part of the journey. We're going to have to do the lifting and the carrying on our own. We're going to have to step into places and experiences that we haven't experienced before. We're going to have to learn things. So if you're finding yourself today in a situation that's unfamiliar, in a situation that's troubling, in a situation that is just a heavy burden over your shoulders, pause, don't panic, don't run back, don't go back to the familiar. In other words, don't go back and put on diapers. There may be a point in your life, later in life, that you may need to put on diapers, but that's in conversation. I'm talking about in your current stage. Stop, pause, understand that God hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't made you step into a situation that you are not prepared for. He has prepared you all along the way to bring you to this point so that you can carry the load that you have been made to carry. What does that mean? In physical fitness, in exercise. They start you off slow. You get to a point, a, a certain point in your journey that you're beginning to feel the muscles ache. They want you to get to that point because that means that the muscles are now being stretched beyond the level of their familiarity. They're being stretched bef- beyond where they have already been used to. Which means what? You might get a few tears on the muscle. But you don't want to go so far that you tear them apart. You just want to go just enough so that you can now go beyond your former into your new, which prepares you for the next day where you go a little bit further yet and further yet. So the experiences that you're finding are heavy today. They're heavy because they are heavier than the ones you've had before. And is this God sending them? No, it's just life. But God is using all of those things to make sure that not only have you been prepared where you had been prepared, but he wants to now walk with you to bring you to the place of the next phase. Am I all making this up as just a psychobabble? No. When Jesus was with his disciples, in what is commonly called his final discourse with them, his final conversation with them, He tells them this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's talking to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. It's not the most perfect word. Another comforter. Another person with you. To be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It's a different frequency. The world neither sees him nor knows him. You and I neither see this frequency nor do we know it. Other animals, other creatures can see it. With the proper goggles, we can see it. If you have an infrared filter on your glasses, you'll be able to see it. But the world cannot see his spirit. His spirit is hidden. It's in the world. His spirit, it, he is in the world. The spirit of God is all around. He is active. He's alive. He's constantly moving. From the beginning of creation, it says that this, the world was void and without form. But his spirit hovered over the world. His spirit was that creative force that caused the waters to separate and the land to appear. His spirit was that creative force that when he said, let there be light, the laser beam appeared and it was already happening. Not this laser beam, but the beam that was the light that was in the creation, even before the creation of stars and suns. His spirit is alive, but it's a different frequency. You know him. You've been given the ability and the glasses to see the frequency that the world cannot see. You have been now equipped. You have been transformed. Your eyes can see something different because he abides in you and he uh, abides with you and he will be in you. You know that this God is such a gentleman even though he has the ability to be everywhere, even though he is everywhere, he never enters where he is not invited. That would be rape. Right? Think of it as graphically as that, as as offensively as that. He has made us. He has created us. He creates space to fill with his glory. He has created us and has given us the will and the ability to now have control over our space. And what we have to do is now up to us. We grow up, we mature, we recognize that there's a space that's inside of us that's now waiting to be filled with His presence. And when we make the choice to receive Him as our God, our Savior, our King, this happens he puts his spirit in us because we've said welcome the space that you have given me stewardship over my life my mind my heart my spirit my body my being this space is now for you to occupy i've occupied it up until now i've been the boss of this space i've filled the space with my dreams my imagination my words my thinking I've filled the space, but now I want to give ownership or, or kingship, lordship of this space called me to you. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why is the world not able to receive it? Because the world is saying it's my space. I'm going to do with it what I want. I will fill it with how I want I will control this space. I will rule this space. It was given to Adam to rule and fill the earth. That's correct. But to do it with an intent of partnering with God and inviting him in. Don't forget what happened before Adam was created, before Adam and Eve were created. The earth was void. God created all the space that's on the earth, above the earth, and under the earth and the waters. He filled all that with the creatures, the plants, the animals, the fish, the birds. And then he put mankind. But something happened before he created man. Satan, who was the worship leader in heaven, he was the one who covered the presence of God with his spiritual wings. He was the one that was one of the three main angels in heaven. He was the one that would... When God is in the room, his glory filled the room, in other words. His glory was expressed in that space, in the throne. What he would do is he would just hover above him and just cover him and cover him so that everybody would not just see God's glory with such brightness, but they would see it through Lucifer. That was his job. That was his function. But he rebelled in his heart. He says, no, I want control over this. I want to determine what I cover. I want to determine. I don't want God to fill the space that is under my wings. I want my will to fill that space. I want me to be king. I don't want mankind. So he was cast onto the earth. So now the earth, the earth with all the plants and animals and everything that was on it, was now under his dominion. He became the prince of the power that's in the air. He had a third of the angels rebel with him. And they turned their back on God and said, no, we want our own kingdom. We don't want you as king. So all these angels, fallen, and Lucifer, fallen, are contending with God to have control over what happens in the space they want control over what happens in the space called earth and the heavens around the earth and ultimately in all creation but they start with earth because that's where they were cast god limited their ability to earth but they have dreams they have dreams that they will take over the world one day i just can't wait to be king remember the lion king the whole story of the Lion King is an amazing retelling of the gospel. But hidden, for those who have eyes to see it. So anyway, the world cannot receive. Because the world system is opposed to that. It doesn't want to receive. Because it neither sees nor knows him. You, however, my children, my sons and daughters, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you know him because he abides in you. Now you've made space for him. And then he says to them, I will not leave you orphaned. Like a good mother, I will be with you all the time. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me. A different frequency. Have you seen Jesus? Some of us have seen his actions, have seen his hands in motion. Some of us have seen visions of him. Some of us have seen him in dreams. The man who's writing this, John, had seen him physically. John had spent time with him physically. But another man who's written a lot of the New Testament had not seen him physically. But all of a sudden, on his way to Damascus to find and hunt down other Christians and kill them, this man called Saul of Tarsus has this amazing eye-opening vision. He sees Jesus standing there. Jesus was dead, crucified. He was resurrected, spent 40 days. And by the way, we're in the middle of that 40 days. He spent 40 days with the disciples, speaking with them, eating with them, explaining to them things that he had taught them and then he was taken up on the 40th day, and on the 50th day, this promise was now fulfilled in a big way. It was called the Day of Pentecost. But on this journey, Romans were going along, and I'm uh, sorry, Paul was going along, and he has this vision, and he sees Jesus, the man who's now in a resurrected body, in a different frequency. This frequency can go through walls. He entered the room that was all locked, He's on a different wavelength. He's a totally different frequency. He came into this thing, this space. His glory was there in this new resurrected body. And he says to them, Peace be upon you. They're shocked. Their eyes were open to something new. Paul's, Saul's eyes were open to something new. I'm coming to you in a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. He appeared to them in that room because I live. The world thinks I'm I'm, I'm dead. They think you've hid my body because you're trying to propagate this theory or this lie that I'm resurrected. But you will see me and you will know that I am in fact resurrected. And not only that, but you will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my father. Visualize that. It's easy for us to visualize a child in its mother. But this is a different formula. This is a man, a son, in his father. I don't know how that looks. And you are in me. And I in you. Imagine this mess of a mishmash of the father, the son, us, you, me, everyone in the room, others that are all over the world, others that have died, others that were fed to the lions by the Romans in the first century. All of the Christians everywhere mishmashed into this thing that is all one. what does that look like? How does it relate? What is the relationship between the Father and the Son? What is the relationship between me and Jesus? You and Jesus? Me and you? You and me, Dawson? What's our relationship in this? What do we fit together like? Those who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me not just those that show up on Sunday, put up their hands and sing to the lyrics that are on the screen and say, Oh, Jesus, how we love you. But those who keep my commandments and those who love me will be loved by my Father. But wait a minute. Jesus, didn't you say that the Lord, the God loved the world that he gave his only son? Yes. He loved the world. He's always loved the world his son was slain before the foundation of the world he knew that he was going to have to do that because the world was going to rebel against him before he formed the world he's opened all the doors he's standing at the door waiting and the picture in revelation is beautiful he said that i stand at the door knocking if anyone hears my voice and opens a door i will come in remember i told you he's a gentleman He doesn't rape. He doesn't enter space he's not welcomed into. He's allowed to come in where we give him the space and he comes in and he says, and I will come in and I will sup with them. I will eat with them. We will break bread together. We will become in fellowship. Those who have my commandments and keep them, are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my father. Could it be, I don't know, I'm not suggesting anything, but could it be that there is a different love that the father has for his now family? Or is it just that his family has now tuned in to the frequency to be able to recognize that love? I don't think his love varies. He loves me and you as much as he loves the drug addict and the prostitute that are on the street doing their thing, the murderer that's done his business, the gangster that's embezzling and stealing. His love is equal across the board board because he loves all of us equally. Have you ever asked the mother, who do you love more, your daughter or your other daughter? That's an unfair question. Because a true mother will tell you I love them equally. And God loves us equally. Whether we're in the house or outside the house. But it's us whose frequency is now turned on that we can see when this frequency is active or not. It's a different frequency. It's a different dimension, if you will. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. In other words, he will give us these glasses to be able to see the unseen. Okay, so there's the wisdom of experience. There's the pushing into the new experience that will give me more wisdom. There is mommy taking care of me and putting my diapers on and feeding me, spoon feeding me and training me and doing all of that. And there's a time that God stops that so that now I step into my maturity there's the GPS, all of this has to come together somehow or this guy up here has lost it. So what are these commandments? What are these commandments that he says that if you know my commandments and obey them, my father will love you. In other words, you'll be able to experience my father's love because you now have the glasses to see that frequency. So what happened was that he was now being tested or or questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So now they wanted to come together, and one of them, a lawyer. Don't think of lawyers today. A lawyer meant a master of the law of Moses. When you read lawyer in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, or sorry, in the Old Testament, it isn't a guy who would just settle civil affairs and criminal matters. He was. He was doing all the work of a solicitor. He was doing all the work of a barrister. Why? Because the law that they had included all of that. It included what happens if someone, you know, took over a property from you. It it dealt with matters of marriage and inheritance and all of those things. The law of Moses had all of that. So a lawyer is a master here of the law of Moses. So he knew the law. He didn't study Roman civil law. He studied the theological or biblical Mosaic law. So when he says a lawyer asked him this question to test him, he is one that knows all the commandments. And there's plenty of commandments. There's commandments about how to wash your hands, there's commandments about how to eat, what to eat, what not to eat, which animals, what you can wear, what you can't wear, all those things. There's commandments about everything. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? So he's testing him. He probably has an idea that he's hoping Jesus would answer wrong. So Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, the place that you are to create space for him to dwell in. You shall love the Lord God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul. That faculty that analyzes, thinks, processes, you have to make room for him, for his glory to dwell. That's what loving him means. And with all your mind. In other places, we see with all your body, with all your strength. In other words, with your whole being, that space that you are responsible for, that you are to nurture, your space. Love him with all your space. I think... uh I think I skipped a a portion here, but then he gives him another commandment, and he says, and the the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself, right? I skipped a slide here, but you can see it in the scripture if you have your Bibles. Open to Matthew 23, and you'll see the verse in between these two that says, between that last one and this one, that says, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words everything that you've studied when you've gone to your biblical seminary, law school, everything rests on these two things, love God and love others. But he comes back and when he said to them that these are my commandments you are to keep, not Moses's. And he tells them these words. I give you a new commandment. This is the part that you need to really grasp. A new commandment: If you have been given by grace, the ability to see this frequency, your eyes can't see it, but your, your eyes can't see it, but you see it. What am I pressing? Am I pressing anything? Am I pressing anything? You see it, right? You don't see my finger, you don't see the beam. But you know something is happening because I'm pressing it. He's giving them a new commandment. That you love one another. Yeah, but that's nothing new. Moses told us to love our neighbor. Yeah, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to give you something a little bit different. Something a little bit harder. Something that only if you have this frequency, you will be able to fulfill something that only if you have this new spirit of mind living inside of you, you will have the ability to do on a consistent basis, not on a one-off, because there have been people that don't know Jesus that on a one-off have given their lives for the sake of others. But it's not their frequency. They have extended beyond their frequency and done it because of self-strength. That doesn't save us. I could be kind to others and love others more than myself out of my own strength but he wants the space to be redeemed. He wants the spirit to live within us and he wants to bring us to that place that inside and out we're matched. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another just as I have loved you, that he gave himself for the church. How can we do that? We have an enemy that is intent all over the world. This enemy is the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that can, at any point, because this frequency I have to pick up, he can come and he can block this frequency. You know, I'm pressing the green button, but there's no laser beam anywhere. Why? Because he's blocked it. How can I work with that? How can I live in a space where I have an enemy that's constantly working against me? Well, Scripture says that on the cross, when Jesus died, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them over them, of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross, in his death on the cross. What does that mean? He has disarmed the rulers, the powers, the principalities, Satan, his angels, his demons, all of the ranks of that army. We can summarize it this way that Satan and his army have been disarmed and defeated. We always see Satan as a strong man. What does a strong man look like? The Hulk. He's a big man, strong man. Each arm is, right? He works out. But what does it say? They've been disarmed and defeated. I want to give you a visual of that so that next time you're facing the enemy, you remember these two words a little bit differently than what they're written up there. You ready? His arms have been cut off and his feet have been cut off. His arms can no longer hold weapons because he has been disarmed. His feet can no longer chase you because he's been (laughs) defeated. Why can't we look at it that way? Why can't we grasp it that way? Why can't we take these words? Yeah, it's a play on words. It's not the actual Greek word. But that's what he's really saying to us. We never think of it that way. We just think that his weapons have been taken out from his hands. But his hands are still strong because he's mighty. But his hands have been cut off because his arms have been cut off. The enemy that you think is real, is real. He is strong, but he is not as strong as what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He is not as strong as what Jesus wants to do today in your life. He's not able to chase you. Yeah, he walks around like a roaring lion with his feet cut off. He has been disarmed and defeated. The GPS that God gives you even when the signal doesn't work. That's on purpose. Don't panic. Build up your experience over the years. Everything that you go through is training for the next phase of your journey. Everything. You know, I'm watching Ari grow up. I didn't get the opportunity to watch as much as the kids were when they were growing up as I do now as a grandparent. I get to see things that I didn't see in my own kids' development. Because I'm watching him, and I'm not as, you know, I'm not less busy than I used to be. But somehow I've learned to appreciate it and focus on it a little bit different with the grandchild than with my own children. So I'm watching his development. And he's learning from one thing to the other. Yesterday, he saw my bottle of water that I take with me when I leave the house. I had it sitting on the top of the stairs so I can take it with me and go because I was planning on leaving shortly, but he saw it there. And he didn't think I was going to leave. So he picked it up and put it on the shelf. He's learning from previous experience to the next. And the Lord wants to do the same with you. He wants to train you so that when he actually turns the GPS signal off, or the enemy blocks the GPS signal and you can't see it anymore. You can't see it. You have enough inside of you to know which right way to go. You've developed a system of knowing how to hear the voice of God, not because the frequency of the GPS now is no longer available, but because the map has been downloaded to your device. Your device contains your body contains the presence the glory of God dwells within you it may not be your case it may be that you don't have that experience it may be that you still feel that you don't know God and he has never been invited to come into your body into your life we have a baptism June 4th before then today you can receive that gift where God wants to come into your life and dwell in your life and make you his own, make you his child. Be your mother, as it were. I know we call him Father God, but there's an aspect of mothering that's in his heart as well. Otherwise, he wouldn't have created mothers. He knows what mothers are because he himself is mother. And I'm not trying to teach a new theology. The Bible says, like a mother, like a mother hen gathers her children, you gather us under your wing. Okay, So stick with me with the parallel because we're also going to be all part of the bride and none of us men can understand that but we're going to be part of the bride. So get past that. God is both father and mother and son and daughter and grandparent and grandchild. He's all of it. He contains it all because his glory is able to contain it all. So he wants you. He's wooing you. You're not here by accident. You didn't hear this message just because I had cooked it up and I hope it had enough salt. Not too much, not too little. But he prepared this for you so that you can grasp how much he loves you, how much he wants to fill you with his presence, to be with you at all times, to pick you up when it's time of trouble, to encourage you when you fall and scratch your knees, or to heavy, if you're under a heavy burden, to be there with you, to carry it with you. Yeah, but I don't feel his presence. Turn your frequency detectors on. He's there. He's waiting. He wants you to feel him today. Not necessarily physically feel him. Not even necessarily emotionally feel him. He wants you to know his very presence. Let's just stand and spend a moment in prayer. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have prepared all of this and planned all of this, intended all of this, but waited for our yes to execute it. You waited for our invitation. Our response to your invitation. You invite us to invite you. It's a weird concept but you invite us to welcome you. So Lord, we say yes. You are welcome. Come and fill our space. Come and fill our hearts. Fill our lives. Fill our experience. Fill our homes with your very presence. We ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to see the manifest glory of your presence in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you train us at different stages of our journey to prepare us for the next phase. So we thank you for where we are today. We thank you for how you have developed us, brought us to this moment. And we thank you that your promise is true, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never abandon us. But you are with us through thick and thin, through high and low, through moments of joy and moments of deep sorrow. You are with us. We thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you have put us in a community. That you have made us part of one family. That we can love one another in the same way that you have loved us by caring for one another and lifting one another's arms up. And we thank you, Lord, that the enemy and his power and his angels have all been defeated, disarmed, unable to continue assaulting us. So we say no to them as we say yes to you. We say no to their lies as we say yes to your truth. We say no to the perception that they are strong and mighty. And yes, to you who is strong and mighty and able. We bless you, Lord. Yes, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the door. You're good. You're the lion and the lamb. The one who appeared defeated on the cross, but the one who defeated and stripped all power from the enemy's hands. And you live in us. We thank you and we bless you as we pray this in Jesus' name.